0: Not you, it's me. Maybe I should have started with a trigger warning, in case you've you've had to hear those lines, but that line before a famous breakup line. Um, and when people say it's not you, it's me, they're tr- they're trying to claim that they're not rejecting you, but they're definitely rejecting you. It's not you, it's me. Jesus promises that his followers will be rejected, actually, rejected by the world. They'll be persecuted, it says. But Jesus says, don't be troubled. In fact, you can be comforted because it's not you, it's me. See what I'm doing there? He says, the world hated me first. They will treat you this way because of my name. It's not you, it's me. You know, it's been, um, it's been preacher's bliss the last two weeks. John 15 one to seventeen, abide in the vine, love each other. These are like the, the classic metaphors of the Christian life, you know. Make your home with Jesus, be a be planted in the vine so you can bear fruit, love. You know, and that, that section finishes. If you if you look at John fifteen, verse seventeen, this is my command to love each other. And then boom. If the world hates you Keep in mind that it hated me first. There's a switch here. It goes from, from abiding in the vine and love to, to persecution. I think today's passage um, is mainly about persecution and the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's, it's a tricky sort of passage. So what I want to do, I want to um, preach the ideas that are in here, and then we're going to come back and reflect and read the passage again and see if if God's um, been speaking to us as as we've been sort of unpacking the ideas and then also as we read, um, see if we can make some, some clear sense of what God's saying to us here. So the sermon's called, It's Not You, It's Me. I'll talk about persecution and then the Holy Spirit. If we're followers of Jesus, we are Jesus' people. The organising principle of our lives, our whole life, is lived through the prism of following Jesus. You know, PJ was wearing um, clip-on sunglasses earlier. Don't know where PJ has gone. We wear Jesus glasses, right? Everything we do, everything we decide, um, is run through the lens of following Jesus. That we'd be with Him, we'd learn from Him, we'd become like Him. You know, I said last week, if a tomato plant or a cherry tomato plant bears cherry tomatoes, if a strawberry plant bears strawberries, a Jesus person bears Jesus bears Jesus love. So we're Jesus people. And that's, that's first and foremost. I know some of us might consider ourselves a gaming guy, or, or you might be a Gilmore Girls girl, you might be a, a basketball boy, or a western suburbs woman, you know. Any of those things are fine and good, But first, you're a Jesus person. If you're a follower of Jesus, your first call, your primary identity is is in Christ. And Jesus says that Jesus' people will be troubled in the world, that the world will hate you. Now, when he says the world, he's he's not saying that the world is bad. He's not saying forget John 3.16. God does so love the world. When he says the world here, the world is a distinction from the kingdom of God. He's asking, are you a citizen of God's kingdom or are you a citizen of the empires of this world? We live as as dual citizens because we're humans in the world. So um, St. Augustine sort of came up with this idea, it's in the Bible as well, um, that there's God's kingdom and there's the world. Or Augustine would say there's the city of God and the city of man. And we live in between. We're dual citizens. We're citizens of God's kingdom and we're citizens of the world. But we're children of the city of God. Our home is Christ. We want to contribute to the world we're called to. We want to be contributors to culture. We want to um, see the cities we live in flourish. But we do that with an identity and a set of values and a set of tools that come from our homeland, where we're from. our our, our father. We're children of the city of God, living in the city of man. Not hoping to create utopia, hoping to contribute, hoping to bring God's kingdom in, but with our identity safely fixed in in our homeland, God's city, God's kingdom. So Jesus, um, Jesus isn't from the world when the world's used like this. Jesus is... Is not from the world, but he comes, he's sent for the world. And so too, Jesus' people are not from the world, but are sent for the world. So you must never think when the Bible uses the world in this way that, that the world is something to resent, or the world something we must retract from. And the world needs Jesus' love. The world needs Jesus' people. And we're a community of disciples following the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. For the sake of the world, and yet the world will hate you, he says. And the world will hate you because you're not from here. Your home is in Christ. Your home is not in the world. So your values, your identity, your meaning don't come from here. I'm sure you all know what it's, it's like to be resented because you're not from here. Or maybe your parents are resented because you're not from here. You know, people go to sports events, um, often in Europe, and if they're wearing the wrong colours, they have to put a jacket over the top. Otherwise, like they'll be unsafe, like a, a Barcelona game or something. You know, many people find it hard to get a job, get a, a lease, get a get a date even, because they're from the wrong place. And Jesus' people are different. Jesus' people should be different. Jesus is good news for the world, but he's definitely different from the world. You know, we read the Sermon on the Mount, we read even John 15, and we go, this is an upside-down kingdom. This is a strange glory, the, the way of the cross. So if you're a child of the kingdom of God, if you're a child of God, you'll live different and you'll look different for the sake of the world. We love the world by displaying an alternative life, a contrast way. 1 Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that they'll just want to glorify your Father in heaven. Live different and look different because of Jesus for the sake of the world that they might, might know him. So live different, look different as Jesus' people. How do we live different and look different? Um, I think we do it through morals, values and beliefs. The simple ones are morals. These are the ones when we're in high school and we're like, if I just don't swear people might fall in love with Jesus. And I reckon that's cool. Like, go for that. And that can be you know, around swearing. It can be morals around um, sex and like casual sex in particular, drunkenness. It can be morality around compassion and kindness. As we grow up, though, we hope it's not just our morals that look different, but our values. That our values look different to the world. Maybe you value your singleness more than the world does. The world says, oh, you're single, just find anyone. And you go, no, I'm content with, with where Jesus has me. I'm not going to settle for less than what God has for me. Maybe he's got a marriage partner for me, but I'm not just going to go for it just because the world says to. Maybe you're, you're not content following the money. The world says, follow the money, go where the money is, seek first the Australian dream, You know, a house, two kids, a pet. Maybe you want to be a contributor more than a consumer. Or you want to be a friend to people who are different from you. Maybe you want to pursue justice over just good enough. You want to pursue sacrificial love and sacrificial service over maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. Our values should look different from the world and of course our beliefs are different to the world. It says in the passage here, on sin, on righteousness, on judgment. So we're called to be salt and light in the world, you know, to be a contrast people so that the world might see, the world might might see the way of Jesus. But with salt and light, people don't always like it when you shine light in the dark. I don't know if you've ever been like, had a torch in your eyes when it's dark or you've just been asleep and someone opens the blinds People don't like it when light bursts into dark places. Yet we're called to be light in a dark place, and we're called to be salt. I mean, people do like it when you add salt to things, so that doesn't work. In Melbourne, we love you know salt, salt and sweet, don't we? Just name a dessert, add salt to it, and it's like a Melbourne edition. Of, you know, salted ice cream, salted vanilla, salted caramel. My sister made me um, cookies the other day and they were just chocolate chip cookies but with salt on top, like salted everything. In Melbourne, the world is a certain way. Melbourne's what you'd call a post-Christian city. Post-Christian. Mark Sayers, he's a pastor in Blackburn in the eastern suburbs, but he's like the guru on this idea of post-Christian culture. He's got this amazing podcast called This Cultural Moment. It's like my number one recommendation at the moment. He's, he's written some books. And, and Mark Sayers says that post-Christian culture, we can think of culture in three ways. Pre-Christian, like before a culture has received the gospel. Think like you know, ancient pagan cultures or some, um, some Hindu or Muslim countries. There's, there's Christian or Christianized culture cultures which have, have received the gospel and, and people have become Christians. We might think of, you know, the um, middle of America or the eastern suburbs where Koorong is. Um, but then there's post-Christian culture. Pre-Christian, Christian and post-Christian. And post-Christian culture, post-Christian cities are built on stories and values that are not just unaware of the gospel, they're actually aware of Christianity and trying to tell an opposing story, trying to actually not just go, "We don't know about Jesus, but we've heard about your Jesus," or my grandma was a Christian and we want nothing to do with that." So it doesn't just it's not just unaware of the gospel, it's antithetical to the gospel, it's opposing. It's deliberately trying to move on past Jesus. And so we are Jesus people in a post-Christian world in Melbourne and in, in most of the world now. It's becoming, in the Western world and, and much of, of the rest of the world, it's becoming post-Christian. The world does not like it when they see Jesus. But Jesus says, the world will hate you, but it's not you, it's me. He says, if the world doesn't like you being a Jesus person, if they don't like your priority." If they don't like your values, your morals, your beliefs, it's not you, it's me. The conflict is not a sign that you're doing something wrong. It means you're doing something right. This is comforting, I think, if you've ever lost friends or even just lost face with people for like being a Christian. Or if no one wants to come to, to your um, invite or to your church, or you've been trying to tell someone to come along to to church or BSF or board games night, and people just aren't interested. Jesus promises that that'll be the case. We're on good soil when people aren't interested. Jesus promises that the world won't like this. You know, some people some people get offended by like um, the Christian sex ethic. We've had friends who um, you know, before Jess and I got married, we didn't live together. Classic Christian thing to do. Highly recommend it, not living together. Um, but people were like offended by that. They were like cuz they, they felt like we were judging them just because we weren't doing what they were doing. Um, people some people feel judged cuz like um again, highly recommend this, don't get drunk. Drunkenness not a good idea. People get really offended if you don't get drunk with them some because they feel like you're judging them. Not all the time i 've got a lot of great christian friends great non Christian friends who are more than happy to not get drunk they like seem sensible but but people people feel judged just by Jesus people being Jesus' people, by our values being different, by us opting out of the ways of the world. Maybe you choose not to join in the gossip about a colleague at work, even though the colleague at work is a bit of a jerk like they sort of almost they deserve. Not deserve, but like you get why the gossip's happening, but you choose not to. Or like you, you wish your boss would change, but you don't put unfair pressure on them. You pray for them instead. There's so many ways we can, we can live differently to the world. We can seek justice and righteousness in different ways to the world does. We're people of conviction and compassion. So we're loving and compassionate and kind, but we also live with conviction under a gospel of truth which the world sees as foolish and offensive. So Jesus says, be like me and persecution will come. Bear Jesus' fruit, be a Jesus person and persecution will come. And then he says, a servant is not greater than his master. What he's saying is, if the world doesn't like me, who are you to think that you can do better than Jesus and that you can have allegiance to both his way and the world's way. He says it doesn't work like that. A servant's not greater than his master. You can't be playing for two teams at the same time. You can't seek his approval and the world's approval. Jesus couldn't do that neither can you. This, I think, is a warning for us in 2019 not to pursue like relevance and likability too hard, even in the name of Jesus, there's a, there's a temptation to, to go. We can still be Christian, but we'll be like the world, and we're not going to like, we're not going to deny Christ or anything. But our priorities will look pretty much the same. But Jesus says, you can't do it better than me. Follow me all the way. I think sometimes um, in in our Christian life, and I put myself into this category, there's there's maybe not heaps of persecution. And maybe that's because we're either being not Jesus-y enough or we're not like in the world enough, not loving the world, not, not being like Jesus to the world enough. Like maybe, maybe we actually look too similar to the world. In sports, sometimes you have these things happen where there's jersey clashes and like these two teams' jersey looks too similar. I think sometimes as Christians we can be a bit like that. So be such Jesus people for the sake of the world that you're living in a way that is at stark contrast with the world. You might feel like a loser. You might look like a fool. But he is strongest when you are weakest. There's actually blessing in persecution because when you're weak, he's strong. So often in church history, the great moves of God happen when the church is most oppressed, is most weak, is most persecuted. Because that's when that's when the the spirit moves. That's when when the strength of of Jesus is is most seen. I've been thinking a lot lately about this idea. I've coined it myself, so this one's for free. The opportunity cost of discipleship. The opportunity cost of discipleship. The opportunity cost, right? What's opportunity cost? It's I've got to go back a few years to the commerce days, but I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, opportunity cost is what you could have gained if you hadn't spent that money that way. So you know, if I go over to Harley and Rose for dinner tonight and grab a pizza, the opportunity cost of that is that I don't go to dinner elsewhere. It's also that I don't have dinner at home with Jess. It's also that I can't spend the money on something else that I like more than pizza. Not that I like anything more than pizza, but there are opportunity costs involved, right? And I wonder if in our culture of competing priorities and, and the temptation to live out the world's way, the world's vision for life, with a glaze of Christian religion on top, that's you know, such a temptation to live out a. Uh, a life that the world thinks is good with just a a glaze of Christianity over the top. I wonder if we need to consider the opportunity cost of discipleship. Are we following the way of Jesus in such a way that the cost actually costs? Like, are we so sold out to his way? Are we seeking his kingdom first that some of the things we would like to have or like to do or like to be actually can't happen because our priorities are submitted to his. The opportunity cost of discipleship. Maybe a little bit of persecution is actually a good litmus test for that. If I'm if I'm living with no persecution, is the cost of discipleship really a cost? Jesus promises persecution. He says Jesus' people will be hated by the world, and he says it's not you, it's me. Let's talk about the Spirit. What's super cool is Jesus says, when you're persecuted, he says maybe your friends are cut at you because you don't have the same ethic on sex. He says maybe your parents look down on you because you're not going to just marry whoever. You're going to wait for God to lead you in his direction. Whatever it is, whenever you're persecuted, he says I'll give you strength to stand up. I'll give you words to say. I'll send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. He says, it will be better than if I had have stayed. Like we always think how cool would it be if we could have a pizza with Jesus. Like all our friends would just be so on board Jesus being legit if we were actually, like if Jesus was at the table in his Birkenstocks with his beard. But he says it's better that I go and I send the Spirit. I'm like, how, Jesus? I'm still praying, Holy Spirit, teach me how it's possibly better that you are with me than Jesus is. But the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, available not just to me but to all of you, to people all over the world, across time, space and place. And Jesus says whenever you're persecuted, you've got armour, you've got an advocate, you've got a helper, you've got strength, and your strength is not you. It's me. He says, you've got help, and that help is not you, it's me. This is why we need to be people of the Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit of God. You know, Jesus' people are Holy Spirit people. There should never be a distinction between, like, Spirit people and, like, Jesus' people. Jesus' people are Spirit people. Spirit people must be Jesus' people, because... The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to, to fill us and keep on filling us with Himself. He wants to give us gifts and bear in us fruit. You know, That's the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit so that we might be like Jesus in character and in behaviour. We might have the disposition of Christ and the behaviour of Christ. We might have the doing and the being of Jesus. So what I want to say is is you can trust the Holy Spirit. You can trust the Holy Spirit to work in you, to work in the world, and to work in the world through you. Because your persuasive arguments alone can't stand up to, to persecution. They can't change post-Christian culture. Your committed service and sacrifice alone, your kindness, your wonderful personality, I see your wonderful personality. But it can't change the world alone. It's with the Holy Spirit. It's through the Spirit of God breathing in and working in us and working through us that our lives and our prayers can change the world. It's through His Spirit. I don't know if you've noticed in this passage the refrain that keeps coming up. Jesus keeps saying, ask the Father and and He'll do it. Through the Spirit, our lives and prayers can change the world. But without him, it's going to be a real tough run, tough mutter. So the Holy Spirit does what we cannot do, and yet he does it through us. He ministers to all of people. He's the spirit of truth, it says, the spirit of conviction, the spirit who speaks. He ministers all of Jesus, his work and his word, into all of the world. And he ministers to all of people. He ministers to all people, but also all of people. Like a person's whole being. You know soul? You know the word soul? It means whole. The word soul means the integration of your mind, your will, your body. And the Spirit ministers to people's souls, their whole person, their relational self, their intellectual self, their their physical, psychological, spiritual, emotional self. The Spirit gets into all the crevices and cracks of the human in a way that we can't by ourselves. And it's the Spirit who testifies that the Word is truth. The Spirit who testifies that God loves you. The Spirit who testifies that Jesus is the way. You know, I can tell you, I can say, Hey, God loves you. And that's a cool idea. It's a nice thing for a pastor to say. But until the Holy Spirit actually convinces you that God loves you, you won't really know it. It'll it'll be a nice idea, but it's the Spirit who testifies to the truth that, that the love of Jesus is in you, that God loves you so much. So we don't want people to be just convinced that the Bible is, is, historic, is historically accurate. right? That's not going to be enough. We don't want people just to, to accept that Christianity might be a reasonable option. Not enough. Like Those things are really important steps along the journey, but we ultimately want people to know Jesus, to know His love and to become friends and followers of Him, and we need the Spirit to do that work through us, to us, to the world. You've got help. And the helper is Jesus, his his advocate that he sends the Spirit. And finally, you've got a message. Jesus says, testify. You know, sometimes uh, things are just said better by African-American preachers, and I believe the word testify is one of those. I'm not going to try. But Jesus says, testify. He says, you've been with me. You've got the Holy Spirit with you. You've got good news of great joy for all people. So testify. We're all witnesses, as the the great Nike commercial said. We are all witnesses. You've got a person to lift up and proclaim, and it's not you, it's me, Jesus says. So what we are to do as Christians, as Jesus people, as people full of the Spirit, is bang on about Jesus. That's what the Spirit's doing I used to follow this guy on Instagram um, and he was this like sort of, he was like the husband of a a worship leader that I followed. And you know when you end up on Instagram, you like start following like the partners of famous people. and It's like, come on, I'm wasting my life for sure. But anyway, I was following this guy and he was like this real Aussie dude and he'd always do happy birthday messages to his friends on Instagram. And he'd say like, a, a happy, happy birthday to my friend and just... I'll use Daniel for an example. If I was saying, happy, happy birthday to Daniel, he'd say, to that red hair dying, piano playing, cool shoes wearing, deacon leading, friend befriendin', Andy mentorin'," and he'd just list all these things like um, with all these ings on them to my friend. The Holy Spirit is a Jesus pointing Jesus declaring, Jesus talking, Jesus revealing, Jesus loving, Jesus glorifying spirit. It says the Holy Spirit is just banging on about Jesus and so in the world of post-Christianity, in the world of persecution, don't worry too much about the finer points. Like they are important. But some ethical or political disagreement is not what he's after. Make it all about Jesus. Bang on all about Jesus. Make your testimony, your message and your life all about Jesus. Let's stand up. I've got a prayer to pray over us. I wrote my prayer down. It's short, but let's stand up. I just want to pray this over you and then we're going to do some reflection. If you want to put your hands out to just receive. uh, I've really been praying this week that God would be equipping us to be Jesus' people in a post-Christian world. So I pray now, Father, may we, this community, be disciples, followers of the way of Jesus, filled, empowered, and led by your Spirit for the sake of the world that you love. Amen. You can grab a seat.